Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuck publicans? The few of you out there, how's it going? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. What the fuckocrats? All right, just evening it up. I am back. I am back at the cat ranch, back in the hills of Highland Park, where I belong in my slowly crumbling casa, Casa La Crumble. I don't know what that means. So today on the show, Phil Elverum and Mark Mulcahy, two different uh, musicians, songwriters. I didn't know much about either of them. This is the truth. This is how this worked. Phil sent me his record and, and a bunch of other ones. Now, I didn't know of him. I did not know of his former uh, manifestation, the microphones. I didn't know about Mount Erie. I didn't know. I don't didn't know anything about him. Uh, my uh, my partner, I guess that's the word I'm going to try out. Uh, Sarah had you know, knew of the microphones, and I, there was a period of music there that I just was not. Uh, I, I was too old or too something. I, I just didn't. Somewhere between 2002 and 2012, I just missed a lot of stuff. I wasn't as engaged. But she knew of the microphones, and there was a world of that type of lo-fi kind of experimental music around, but I didn't know of him. And I got this record with a nice personal note, and I listened to it, his new record, uh, which is called, it's released under the name Mount Erie, it's called A Crow Looked at Me, it's available now, and it was just one of those moments where right out of the gate, the tone and the sound and the words and his voice just kind of struck me in a very real way, in a very deep place. And I listened to it and it was a devastating record. And, uh, you know, I invited him on the show to talk about this devastating record because the backstory around the record is is devastating. But but there was something you know, beautiful and poetic as, as dark as it might have seemed or might seem in subject matter, it was beautifully human and, uh, and I was interested in it. And that, and that was just a record that was sent to me. Mark Mulcahy as well. Like, I didn't know a lot about Miracle Legion. I wasn't a fan or had no real knowledge of him, but I was sent some of his, uh, one of his solo records and I played it and I was like, this is, this is a real dude. This is a real guy. This is, there's some depth to this. This guy's been around and he's got, and he's got some depth here. And I like the music. 
and I became sort of a fan of his, you know, from his solo work. And that was a long time ago now. It was over a year, and finally it sort of came around that, uh, you know, Mark was around, and, and I, I got him in here to talk to these guys. These guys are, I would say, veterans to a certain degree. Certainly Mulcahy's, Mulcahy's been around a while, and Phil is not that old, but he's certainly been around a while. But I didn't know anything about them. But uh, it was all new to me. These were two instances where the music came to me and uh, and moved me uh, a certain way. And, and I'm, I'm happy to be open to that. And I, I talk about this a lot. You know, I'm at this juncture in my life, this age where, you know, my life is what it is, whether I, I've done it intentionally or not. You know, I am 53 years old, childless, divorced. I'm okay with money. And, uh, and now I've got a little time. And it's sort of like, what, uh, what moves me? What brings me joy? What, you know, what engages me? What are my responsibilities to myself and others uh, at this point in my life? And how the fuck do I have a good time? And I'm realizing that expectations are sometimes a little, uh, you know, you got to be careful of them. Be careful of those expectations, the good ones and the bad ones. There's always, you can always expect an end because <laughs> that's inevitable. But uh, I don't know. You got to temper that shit. So so I do engage with music. And, and when it moves me, I'm happy about it. And I was glad I could talk to these guys. There's some heavy stuff in today's show. I'm not going to deny that. Uh, Phil Elverum is here. His most recent album, uh, released under the name Mount Erie, is called A Crow Looked at Me. It's about some very uh, difficult and uh, heavy stuff. It's about grief. It is an active, artistic expression of grief. It's available now wherever you get music. And this is me and Phil having a conversation. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needs needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your your podcasts station i you know you send me your records the microphones record and the mount erie mm -hmm. records and then the new record which is under mount erie or it is, is but it, it kind of is you? its own thing but yeah it's mount erie um and i get a lot of stuff yeah that looks like stuff and you wrote me this very nice letter and you know, uh, you know, the subject matter of the record is obviously devastating, but I had no idea about the microphones, mm -hmm. and I didn't know anything about it. So I put the record on. I was very taken with the new record um, uh, immediately, and that doesn't always happen. And then I, I sort of, um, you know, asked around. Well, my girlfriend in mm -hmm. particular, 
who was a microphones fan and you know you were part of this world of music that i kind of missed somehow mm-hmm. that there was a period there in the 90s she was dating devendra oh, okay and there seemed to be this bay area kind of lo-fi poetic you know i don't know how you would classify the music I avoid having to. But but it, you sort of fit into that spectrum a little bit, right? I suppose, yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for 20 years, so yeah. maybe I fit in at different spectrums, different spectrums, different points and different spectrums. Right, but oh. you, there was a period yeah. there where the microphones, which was primarily you? It's just me. Yeah, it's all just me. It's Mount Erie, the microphones, it's all just me. Yeah. Occasionally I have collaborators, but I think of myself more as... Uh, a descendant of the Pacific Northwest stuff, grunge, whatever. Oh, really? Which is, I'm younger than that. I'm younger right. than Nirvana, of No, course. of course, but maybe you grew up with it. I grew up with it. That was my portal into this stuff. Really? Oh, for sure, yeah. Where'd you live? Anacortes, Washington. How far is that from Seattle? Like two hours, a little less than two hours. Northwest? North. It's it, Anacortes is in the San Juan Islands. Uh-huh. So, yeah, almost in Canada. Very beautiful. I love that. That's my favorite part of the country is yeah. the Pacific Northwest. Me too. The weight of it. Yeah. Right? I mean, to me, it seems normal. But, me. but 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 like even your sound, you know, you can hear it mm-hmm. in the sound of people that come from there, even Nirvana. Right, yeah. That like the, for me, like the, just the size of the trees, uh-huh. the gray of the sky, the, the jagged kind of heaviness of the rock of the coast. Yeah. It, you know, the feeling that you're closer to the top of the world than <laughs> other places. It, to me, it's like there's a, a poetry to it that's dark, but not sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> so you were a kid seeing Nirvana? Yeah, I you know I was into MC Hammer and stuff, and then Smells <laughs> Like Teen Spirit came on the radio. How old are we talking? Let's see, that was ninety one. I was thirteen. Yeah, and I grew up outside of Anacortes. So Anacortes is a small town, but I grew up five miles out into the woods in a barn, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and my parents were building our house when forever I, I was growing up. Yeah, forever. It took many years, and my room was the first that got finished. So they moved me into it, and I was living in this construction site. One of my walls was this tarp flapping in the wind. Oh, my and God. So it's that kind of off-the-grid yeah. rural living. Well, it, more Twin Peaks, though. Cause, and also, Twin Peaks was on TV at that time, and so we, I remember watching it was when it was on TV, watching an episode, being so spooked. You right. Know, getting to stay up late to watch it, and then, good night, everyone, walking down the trail to my room in the construction site with the actual owls, and, you know, it, it was Twin Peaks. <laughs> Who's everyone? Oh, my parents. Just yeah. the parents? No, I have a brother and sister as well. Yeah? Yeah. And uh, so what, what, what was the incentive of your uh, family to go to the woods? Well, let's see, my parents were born in... 1955, uh-huh. which makes them a little too young to be uh, first wave hippies, back to the landers. So they were sort of second wave, okay. if that exists. Right. So, it, no, it, it certainly does exist. So they weren't hippies, but they were like, fuck yeah. this. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, not so radical, more just like, hey, this seems nice to go uh, to a rural area. Well, what'd your dad do? Oh, he's a uh, stonemason. So he knows how to build things. Yeah. Pretty much. Did, yeah. Is the house stone? Yeah, it has this huge Russian stone fireplace in the core of it. You know, it's very it's beautiful. still around? Yeah, oh, yeah. They're still there. Oh, my God. 
And that, uh, yeah. that's a, and, and what's your mom do? She's a massage therapist. Ah. So they're a, very like bo- body and stone. Body earth, and earth. Earth people. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they're good people. Yeah, I like them. So what, are they Swedish? No. <laughs> uh, my last name's Norwegian. So yeah, my dad's side goes, goes back to Norway. Do you have Norwegian accented relatives? No. It, oh. It's like five generations or something. Did you change your... What is your last name? How do you pronounce it again? Just Elvrum. Elvrum. Elvrum, yeah. Because I wrote it down wrong. Well, Elvrum. I did change it recently. It's E-L-V-R-U-M. I was... You know, that's what my parents' right. last name is. But I, the traditional Norwegian spelling has an extra E in there. It's a, yeah. ta- it's a town in Norway, so... Elvrum? Elvrum. Elvrum? Probably in Norway they say Elvrum. Oh, so you put the E after the V. Elvrum, yeah. (laughs) I mean, you know, I started putting it in there when I was in Norway, just so I didn't have to have the conversation over and over about, oh, sorry, my name, yeah, I know it looks misspelled. Right. Are are any of your siblings music people? Not really. No? No, not really. My... There's music, like, you know, casual amateur music in my family all, all the time, but yeah. not in the way that I am. Right. I'm music people. So when did you, when did the guitar playing start? Uh, well, yeah, so around when I heard Nirvana on the yeah. radio and realized, oh, regular people can make music too, not just um, f- famous MC Hammer. L- looking people. Yeah, famous seem. I don't oh, know so that, that was really sense. yeah, no, it sure really was sense. a breakthrough. Yeah, Kurt Cobain and those guys Wait. on the cover of Rolling Stone looked like. Guys Regular people, yeah, exactly. So, and then from there, I discovered the local record store, and they were have it had more obscure stuff that I followed the thread back to, you know, K Records and more obscure Pacific Northwest stuff that I it, like. My world opened up. Like who else? Beat Happening was very big. Uh-huh. Do you know about K Records at all? No. Oh, well, yeah, that's definitely my portal into What's music. What's K Records? K. Was it, that a label? Yeah, K is, I mean, they still exist, but it was uh, Calvin Johnson from the band Beat Happening. I know the name Beat Happening. I've probably heard their songs, but I don't know, I don't have a record of theirs, and I yeah. have a lot of records. It's difficult to summarize, but uh-huh. Olympia, it was the Olympia thing. Is this the 90s Beat Happening? Early 80s. Okay, so like, they were like the grandfathers of yeah. the label scene up there. Right, yeah, okay. K, and it was like a particular version of punk right. the definition of punk that was not it was not masculine it was more inclusive and there have been lots of different eras so i came along after they had been going for 15 years or something uh-huh. showed up in olympia and was led into calvin had a great studio called dub narcotic studio he uh-huh. gave me a key too and that's how i ended up making all those microphones records so it's just you in the studio with your nylon string guitar with all kinds of stuff, yeah, huge amps and drums, just, it was a, an amazing kind of, I think Calvin was going for sort of an Andy Warhol factory Vibe, type yeah. dream, uh-huh. just this beautiful room of resources that's available for whoever. And and who were the other uh, artists around? When I was there, Mira was there, Modest Mouse had some records on K, uh-huh. Built to Spill. Built to Spill. Halo Benders. Brett Netson. Yeah. <laughs> He's off the grid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's up there, uh, you know, fertilizing his plants with poop. Yeah. The last I talked to him, but yeah. that's been a few years. Well, I imagine you, that doesn't shift. That only gets, you go further down that rabbit hole. Yeah, you can't go back from that. He's a good player. <laughs> yeah. There have been so many eras of that that version of the Pacific Northwest thing. Sub Pop as well, I'm sure you're Came familiar. out of that? 
No, Sub Pop and K sort of came up concurrently, but sort of developed their own distinct, you know, one is a Seattle thing, one's an Olympia thing. Talking about regional differences here. Sure. And what what do you see, what do you hear sonically the differences are, tone-wise? Seattle is darker. (laughs) Harder? Harder, darker, more gritty, yeah, more masculine. Mm -hmm. And uh, Olympia was more geared towards feminism and well the riot girl thing that's, that's right olympia. that's all olympia right yeah. right yeah yeah so you were there for that i was there just after riot girl stuff i was there when it was sort of morphing into who knows what else and i was just doing my own thing i would record my songs at night and it was very much a like a solitary thing i was just really into recording and being alone and did and, right and did you but you're not a drug guy. <laughs> I'm not a drug guy, no. You're just sort of like a uh, you know, uh, very sensitive, uh, weight of the world guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you really summed me up. <laughs> that's, all, that's all. This interview's over. <laughs> Is that true? No, yeah, that seems right. I'm a sensitive weight of the world guy. And it, well, no, I mean, you hear it very immediately. I mean, it resonates with me, and I, I just didn't know the the music. And I listened to like a microphones record, and I listened to the new record. So you you layer sounds, you know, but it is all you. But yeah, I mean, you don't you know you you don't just play straight in, and then that's the end of it. Yeah, no, it's a recording project. Or it started. That was my way of getting into music i wasn't into writing songs but yeah. I, I was so excited about this multi-track record four track recording just this idea that you could combine sounds so and you weren't into writing songs no i just wanted to record sounds to get these i was i was like well what if i had a really low bassy rumbly thing and then a high pitch thing and then so uh, it's sort of like Fred Frith or somebody, or just like uh, layers of uh, like uh, it's John Cagey. Yeah, like using yeah. using the studio as the instrument, and I had to start writing songs just to have something to record. <laughs> and then since then, but did you show up there? Why'd they let you use the studio if you didn't even play things? I was making tapes in my hometown. What were they? Uh, n- these noise experiments, uh-huh. you know, with beats too. As I was just really obsessed with it. That's yeah. why it was called the microphones. Yeah. And all my songs used to be about like the preamp, compressor, like the, <laughs> the technology of it, really. I was into singing about gear. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of using metaphors about it, but mostly just singing about here's how a preamp works. Uh-huh. Careful about feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a humor to it. No, it wasn't funny. It was like an emotional <laughs> teenager. Serious. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. It was about how like the microphone loves the the speaker, but it's this uh, star-crossed love. And right. <laughs> Were you sad? Yeah, uh, not truly sad. You know, in a teenager way. Yeah. How old are you sad. now? Thirty-eight now. Oh wow, you're a young guy. I'm thirty-eight. Seems old to me, but yeah. 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 Thank you. So when you're were there other the other musicians around i know you work with some people yeah when i moved to olympia from anacortes yeah it was like moving into a a world of amazing people doing their things and resources because i heard yeah. women singing on one of the records i listened to yeah yeah i've got friends that sing oh, good. with me sometimes <laughs> yeah. yeah i've made some friends over the years but when you started doing this and it became popular i mean how did you tour with it well i just still kind of tour in this way where i load up the car and but when it was mostly sound experiments oh right yeah like what what would the microphones do out there there were a couple of attempts of playing 
playing it live where I would try and I was looked like a one man band playing a drum and a guitar and an organ and just people were laughing so because that was not the desired effect looks clowny no that's not what I was going for so I just sort of accepted early on that I can't translate this and I developed I think that's why I started writing songs because it worked better when if I'm going to perform in front of people to be communicating something well what did you want out of it did you if you didn't want to really write songs what what was the evolution from you know sounds to you know, these, I imagine you were finding a great deal of relief layering sounds. Yeah. Like, you know, there's something very satisfying mm-hmm. uh, about, uh, you know, having something, because it, it's a very open palette. So, like, I can see it making sense as you do it and you kind of wrangling these different layers and noises. There's a real orchestration to it that doesn't play by any rules. Yeah. That I imagine has to uh, to create, a, once you hit that place where shit seems right, it's sort of like, ah, oh, I could live here. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Yeah. Producing. Yeah. And composing. Yeah. And, and the blurriness between producing and composing. That's uh-huh. With just sounds. With sounds and, and instruments and, you yeah. know, or I'm going to take this piano and put the mic 200 feet away and what what happens then yeah it's exciting yeah of course that's not the type of record i just made i sort i make records like that that are these worlds of sound and sometimes i just write some songs on the guitar and make records like that my girlfriend said that when she had a microphones record that you would do the like there was some sort of fold-out pop-up thing that you made (laughs) oh she had that one yeah what is that i was like where's my fold-up pop-up yeah that was yeah, that was my second album on K. It was hot. We stayed in the water as the title, and I had this idea that yeah, it'd be a gatefold LP that was popped up like a pop up. Right. But my idea about how to die cut them didn't pan out, so I just had to get a crew of people together and we hand cut them with exacto knives and glued them together, and it took a month. Yeah. Of people constantly in my house, and Dude, so when it came time to repress, the record, how many press? How, how big just a, a thousand. Yeah, it was really labor intensive. Uh, that is labor intensive. So that was. So I wonder. I wonder if she still has that. It sounds like a rarity. It's a rarity. Yeah, <laughs> the repress was not a pop up. What was it called? It was called. It was hot. We stayed in the water. That was from two thousand. And how do you? Well, how do you construct songs? I mean, previous to moving through the feelings of this new record. I mean, what was your process? I used to, well, it was very studio based. I would go in the studio. I have a studio in, in my Anacortis. town. Anacortis? Yeah, in Anacortis. And it's just, it's in an old church, yeah. like a uh, Catholic church that's not a Catholic church anymore. So it's this big, beautiful room. And I would just go in there and uh, explore these kind of raw ideas. What would it sound like if I put this thumping thing through the subwoofer and right. then hit, hit the gong over here and right. then play this organ? Um and then that would I would sort of wrestle that idea into a song. Uh-huh. So over. the so the words are actually the final element, more or less, some midway through. And then I was also singing about really kind of big questions, a lot of metaphors, trying to make big statements about life and death in the universe. Well, what what were the big questions for you well, then? What does it mean to be alive? What you know? What's the point? So you you have that current of. Uh, 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 malaise well no it's not a sadness or a melancholy it's just it's an honest question yeah it's an honest question i know <laughs> <laughs> i ask it every morning <laughs> yeah seriously i mean wh- we're we exist isn't that weird that's basically my feeling <laughs> right but some people seem to have a good time yeah i have a good time do you yeah often in fact the fact that i get to make these to ask these questions and make this music that seems like 
I'm doing pretty good. Do, do you ever get uh, to a point where you're like, oh, I've got closure on the what's the point thing? <laughs> I, I doubt it. I mean, what would life be like then? I don't know. Relaxing? Enlightened? <laughs> yeah, maybe enlightened. <laughs> yeah. Did I'd... you grow up with any religion? No. Uh, no, no, no. So you don't have, no. have that hanging over you to, to maybe uh, jump back to if necessary? No, I don't have any of that. I've maybe tried to like read Buddhist books just to see if that clicked with me. Yeah. No good? Some, uh, some of it did in like a poetic way maybe, but not the actual... Like I'm not going to meditate... F- to get enlightened I don't mm. think mm. yeah it makes me anxious <laughs> I get the opposite effect from meditation yeah. I don't get the enlightened I get the sort of like oh my god well I honestly don't know if I believe that enlightenment is a real thing you know? I, I mean it seems a little bit like believing in heaven which I I just don't believe in belief <laughs> well you know, right it's a trick you play on yourself to get by yeah and I imagine people be critical of that I mean either you can live in the trick or resort to it occasionally i think that's the definite that's the difference between spirituality and religion right yeah, yeah. totally like <laughs> when, when do you use it or yeah. are you just always in it if you're always in it then uh yeah that that becomes somewhat of a i don't know i've been having a lot of these conversations lately they don't get me any closer to god yeah well, we can stop <laughs> <laughs> no i don't mind so when did you um start working with or meet uh your your wife i met her in 2003 Genevieve? Yeah, Genevieve. Genevieve. Yeah, she's French-Canadian. From what part? She, well, Montreal. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she's a Montreal kid. How'd you meet her? Her dad was English-Canadian, so he lived in Victoria, which is really close to Anacortes. Okay. 30 miles. Yeah. She was setting up shows there and met a lot of people that I know through music. She was a promoter? No, she was, she's a graphic novelist, cartoonist. She's got some books on Drawn and Quarterly, the publisher there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um... She was also a musician. What's her last name? Castre. Okay. Is her, I mean, it's a pen name. Yeah. But yeah, Genevieve Castre. Is, and um, so, yeah, I met her through setting up shows there. And she offered to set up some shows for me. And I said, yes, let's please set me up as many as you can. And uh-huh. we, we ended up going on this little tour together around the, all those islands around Vancouver uh-huh. Island, little towns. Love it up there. Yeah, it's very beautiful. I want to live up there. Yeah. Yeah. You can. I can? Yeah, you're invited. They'll let me? <laughs> um, so you you felt uh, instantly drawn. Yeah, I mean, even before I met her, people that knew both of us were saying, oh, Phil, wait till you meet this person. It's going to be crazy. There yeah. was, I, I think people just knew. Oh, we, yeah? We were well-suited for each other. How did it go? Did you work together? Did you, like, did you, how, how, how did it start? She moved down to Anacortes? What happened? <laughs> Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it was we went 100% all the way. We were like, let's have kids. Let's be, we, you're my person forever. It was like, yeah, certainty. Which, 2003? 2003. A lot of people we knew were freaked out. They were like, Phil, who's this person? Are you sure you're going to get married? This is so fast. And How long were you married? 13 years. We, we got married pretty much right away. Yeah. On leap day in 2004. Well, partially because she was Canadian, so so she could live with me oh it's so funny because now I, I want to go the other direction go to canada <laughs> yeah yeah i mean when that was our plan just to leave the you know 2003 it was also a terrifying time That's true yeah politically and w- same wars happening but uh 
we just couldn't figure out where in Canada to move. And we, yeah. after a long time sitting there trying to figure it out, we realized, oh, well, I guess we live here. Oops. So did you did you guys create music together? Not so much. We were both pretty stubborn, solitary, leave me alone type people. Mm-hmm. I, and that was, somehow worked together. The, the one thing that struck me when I put that record on, because I, I don't even know if in the note you said what happened. Did, I think in, in the note you just said that your kid is wanting to talk from hearing me talk in your kitchen. <laughs> yeah. What's your kid's name again? Agat. Agat. And uh, I thought that was very sweet. And then, um, and then I put the record on, and it was just like, it. it I think the first song, it like within the first two lines, you say death is real, mm-hmm. or is that the first? That's the first line, yeah. Death is real. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, what's happening? <laughs> Yeah. And then like um but then like it didn't like once I realized as each song went through and they were very descriptive, I think more descriptive in a way that was related to real life than the other record I listened to. Mm-hmm. It was not fragmented in any way. There was a narrative. Right. Well, yeah, there was a shift. Uh I when I was talking about how I used to tackle these big questions and use metaphors. Yeah. With this new record, all of that was like what was I thinking before? What? How cocky of me to try and talk about mortality? You know, what did I know? Well, you, well, 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 it was speculative. You know, and, yeah. and it's it, you may not feel like you knew anything, but you know, it's something none of us know about in terms of experiencing it uh, firsthand, mm-hmm. right? But but it's something we're heavily aware of, and and we're managing a certain. Uh, lack of acceptance or terror moving towards some sort of acceptance of it as we get older and you just got delivered uh, a very premature blow yeah well 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 how old is uh, your daughter she's two just over two so when when did um so you had you had this child and your wife wasn't ill no she went in just for a regular checkup like a postpartum four months thing and had a little abdominal pain uh-huh. to the regular doctor and it was like you know oh there's a su- suspicious looking little thing here we're going to do this other test for yeah. you and then that test led to more suspicion and just within the space of a few days and a few scans it like everything crumbled it was insane so the, there was a diagnosis within days yeah well yeah our local doctor saw the scans and were like, it's inconclusive, we don't know. And Genevieve was like, could it be cancer? Is it cancer? And the doctor said, oh, likely. I, I'm so sorry. Do you want to talk to the chaplain? I have to go. Somebody's giving birth. It was just a very bad social. Some doctors um, are not good at that. Yeah, this one wasn't. Uh-huh. And so... We hung on that word likely for 10 days until our next appointment where we were going to Seattle to get the actual biopsy. Uh-huh. And we were like, what did she mean, likely? And what, the chaplain? Yeah. That was, what, are, is she going to die? And yeah. And just like, and we hadn't trying to put it out of our head. So right. in that 10 days, that was a very weird 10 days. But then, yeah, she went to Seattle and it was confirmed. And it was, we still didn't really... We had this baby, you know, we brought the baby to the appointment. Yeah. To um 
to get the bad news. And that that doctor in Seattle had to... <laughs> How was he? He was good. I could tell he was just horrified at his job that day to was tell us. Was he an oncologist? He was a, yeah, a surgical oncologist. Uh-huh. So he, we were going to him to confirm that this tumor was not surgically removable, non-resectable. Uh-huh. It had grown around, it was pancreatic cancer, uh-huh. so it had grown around her... Um, vessels uh-huh. I, I'm, I've, yeah I used to know so much about this stuff but I'm actively trying to block it out sure from my mind but yeah I remember these days very vividly and I remember specifically having this crying baby in my arms in the doctor's office as he's like I know that having the baby there was making the rawness of his job that right. much harder yeah 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 so I kind of feel sorry for him now we could have gotten a babysitter that day but we just were our mind frame was like idealistic right it can't be that bad they're gonna tell us good news today thinking positive sure trying to live your life trying to live our life we were new parents and we were just on this other path but and so then you get this confirmation and the reality shifts and the process of acceptance must be horrendous yeah i mean because you don't want to no we didn't want to we just drove home in this kind of haze and uh, with a screaming baby. And What was the prognosis? Um, well, the way they talk about it is positive thinking and optimistic, but we also were like looking at the statistics on the internet, which is not great. Not good to do, maybe psychologically, right. of course, but... Couldn't help yourself. Couldn't help ourselves. And in my mind has this thing I can't turn off where I just have to like prepare get ready for what's likely to happen I try to have some control yeah yeah so through all of this I've been trying to act positively and think positively well at the same time in the back of my mind preparing for the worst case scenario was there any possibility of treatment I mean was did you go through that sort of like we got to change the diet we got to yeah for sure she started chemo right away and we, there were some experimental surgical techniques that we ruled out first, uh-huh. like different. Yeah, we very quickly went into the world of cancer, both alternative cancer stuff and mainstream cancer stuff and up and coming like immunotherapy, uh-huh. and different like laser surgeries at this place in Cleveland. Oh, but it costs $100,000, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Just immediately into yeah. that world. And, and was there a time frame? For they no, they never at no point did anyone tell us you have this amount of time to live because that's a that's a fast cancer, it is, and she lasted longer than she was supposed to. I think. I mean, even though they never told us. Well, from time. from the point of diagnosis to uh, her passing, how long was that? Fourteen months, I think. Oh my God! So Which you, is you did have some time. Yeah, it wasn't good time. I mean, it kind of doesn't count because she got absorbed she transformed into a different person i shouldn't say it doesn't count that's too heavy but yeah like what kind of person just fueled by the the uh, a kind of aggravated optimism and need to (laughs) yeah yeah i mean when i knew her when i met her and when we lived together for all those years she was like kind of a confrontational 
skeptical, hardcore punk type. Yeah. And and you like that. Comfortable with pessimism and negativity. In fact, most of her music and art that she made was about like embracing the darkness. Right. It's okay. Process this stuff. Get into it. Chew it up. Don't get lost in like rainbowy. Yeah. Positivity. But then she that's, got... That's not quite like you, though. Right? You're a little more... I'm into the darkness, too. But you seem to, uh, like... Um, I have a bright demeanor uh, today. Yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah, I think so. Oh, good, Los good. Angeles. Yeah, yeah. But, okay. And then she turned into... Yeah. I th- part of what happened to her through the desperation of, like, trying to be alive... Yeah. ...was she embraced a lot of stuff that, to me, didn't seem like her... Right. Um, well, there's, I guess, but you, 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 you'll, you'll, you'll uh, forgive her that. Oh, for sure. Like what? Like what? Like for instance, the everything. She did everything. She tried everything. She got into unicorns and angels and uh, tarot and um, all kinds of extreme diets, and she just tried everything. Um, huh. And I, I. I need to be careful talking about that stuff because, yeah, I don't blame her at all. Who knows how I would react and transform. It just was disorienting to live with. Well, I think you're just trying everything. Yeah. I, don't it's a, I think like when it would seem to me that when one becomes, you know, terminal that, you know, it's a it's a type of it's very hard to 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 be giving in any way, I would imagine, because, you know. I mean the struggle to 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 find a way to survive versus you know being there for other people it's got to be tricky. Yeah. It was okay for her to be absorbed into it. Yeah. I, it was sort of like the stated roles that we I I held down the house. And, I took care of the kid. Yeah. I did the shopping and Yeah. She was like in her studio drawing sometimes but mostly just listening to like meditations on youtube and Uh getting tarot readings over the internet from people and (laughs) just doing all that stuff how would the tarot readings oh i don't know remedy i don't know i mean i i I sort of turned the other way honestly i was supportive but I, i was taking care of this kid i was buying groceries and like calling the insurance company yeah. Living in the hard realities of right. Oh, life. right, right. And so, yeah, I was disengaged from that stuff. Yeah, you just allowed her to space out of necessity for... For sure. For her, but also for you to do all the other stuff. It, and it really helped her, I think. I think that a lot of that did prolong her life. But yeah, at br- the same time, she, it wasn't her. And she was absorbed in it, staying up late, just lost in that world but yeah but i guess i imagine if you were just hanging around panicking too and doing the same thing <laughs> it wouldn't have been good it was probably the distance in that way of, of practicality was probably helpful i suppose so i just what are you going to say like stop doing that or like wait i've got i found another tarot reader it was more <laughs> the the reason why it's even an issue is that it was more that she wasn't available to have any sweet th- three-person family time right she was inaccessible to our daughter and uh that that was hard and sad but understandable but understandable yeah so i complain about this stuff and forgive her for it maybe i shouldn't even talk about well, it well what happened when when it when she became physically ill i mean did did it change yeah I mean, what just, was that process 
Yeah, she her body transformed. So pancreatic cancer is a digestive cancer. So she couldn't digest food. Uh-huh. So her body was she was kind of starving. Uh-huh. And she got very skinny and um and then she was doing chemo as well. So that contributed and she had no hair. And then she got jaundice. I mean, it was the whole the whole thing. Just and very what, bad. Did she find any solace in the child? Or oh yeah, uh, tons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she was keeping her alive in a lot of ways. Mm. And then Shenviev was working on a book for for our daughter that was that drawn and quarterly is going to put out. She's working on a a board book, a kids book, uh-huh. although it's very heavy because it's unfinished. It's mostly finished, but she didn't finish it uh-huh there's a book about a mom who's trapped in this bubble and this kid that wants to play with the mom but the mom's sorry i'm in this bubble oh my god yeah it's very and heavy did she write it all when she was ill yeah it's illustrations so it's you know because she's a cartoonist so they're like little paintings there's 16 pages very beautiful and then the end of the book is the bubble pops and the mom walks away and can breathe freely she's no longer hooked up to the oxygen tube and you know, she was drawing this with the oxygen tube hunched over her death, just trying to like get the last pages done. And she didn't finish it? She didn't finish it. And we're going to publish it in that way. So, you know, a fucked up kid's book. <laughs> I don't know what parent is going to read this to their kid, but it's, it, you know, it needs to come out. Yeah. So were you the primary caregiver? Yeah. Yeah. And then we had a big crew of people friends and family that were helping a lot too and she passed away at home yeah yep they we brought a hospital bed in and hospice and everything she she tried chemo a bunch of different times Mm. she even we went to hawaii a year ago god it seems like so long ago but it's a year ago from like now Mm. to do this um naturopathic retreat which turned out to be a big scam but Anyways, oh, that must have been a horrible revelation. It, it was horrible, but at, the, at that point, it was like just money, whatever. Yeah, we have bigger issues, right? And and like, so how long has she been gone? July 9th, she died, so less than a year, yeah, less than a year, yeah, so short. I, I dove right into this, like making this record and going back out into the world quickly. I don't know why I did that. Hmm. I Well, I kind of do. I, I was living in this, uh, under these restraints of like being a parent, being a caregiver. Well, you know, when I listen to it, like that's sort of like the the, the kind of interesting and, and, and daunting thing about it. And I, you know, not, not that it's a reasonable comparison, but after my after my second wife left me you know i i was working through it as it was happening mhm publicly mhm cuz that's how i work through things uh-huh and i don't know if it was a good decision or appropriate necessarily but it was what i had to do and like when i listen to the record which you know really starts it seems like you started writing that stuff fairly quickly mm-hmm. after she passed away yeah because it was all those questions that you seem to have had many seem to have been answered in a very um sad way 
yeah. and very real. Yeah. Like the you know, death is real. That that you know that is not a surprising thing, and intellectually we all know that. But the tone of of that first song is that it's real, and um, and there was no way I could prepare for it, and and I and I didn't expect it to happen now. Yeah, but. I've been living with it coming for a year. Well, and also that the version of death that is real in real life, like an actual person dying, is a completely different thing than the the death that gets sung about in art, like reflected in art and music and talking about it in literature. The actual experience of the thing is kind of unsayable. Right, and you said it all. Well, I attempted to, but I don't know if... I still think it's unsayable. It's, I still feel like my record isn't the same thing as feeling it, of course. No, of course, but like, but the immediacy of it and the details in the poetry are, are very, uh, they're sparse but very pointed. Yeah. And, and I think that does have, you know, like I'm, I can't feel what you felt, but you can feel what you felt and you have your feelings and I understand, yeah, you, you know, it's not, it's never going to be the same or you, 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 you're not going to know in your heart really from the physical vessel what that feels like. But um, but you can certainly feel like you reckoning with it. Yeah. And I guess what I was going to say is that, you know, given the time frame and given, you know, the the need to um, to get out and, and be part of the world and to 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 put these songs together as part of your grieving process, I don't know that you're. I don't know that you're done. No, of course not. I don't think there is a done. No, but I mean, like, I think, like, you know, um, like, that was the feeling I got, that you're like, I've got to, I have these feelings, mm-hmm. and, and I've got to put them, I've got to get some control over them. Yeah. And these are the songs. Yeah. But, I mean, how is your life? I mean, do you, are there moments where you're like, oh, my God, she's, you know, she's gone. Yeah. Yeah, of course. There, yeah, there are those moments. Still, they are becoming more spaced out. Uh-huh. You know that those m- harsh realization moments. It's not even harsh. Always, it's more just weird, surreal. Like, yeah, I can't believe this is actually real. It's not a conceptual thing. Did you break down? Oh yeah, lots all the time, all over the house. And you know, my daughter just is like, Papa's crying, and I'm like, Yeah, yeah, I'm crying. It's okay. She's just used to it. It's been a while. I've How did she handle it? How, 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 she's young it? enough that I think she's kind of oblivious to the existential aspects. But she knows she's so, gone? Does she remember? I don't know. She like she hasn't quite put it together yet. She knows who Mama is. and Oh, she was a year old when she died? She was a year and a half. Uh-huh. But also just there are pictures of her around the right, house. She's right. this presence. Right. And people talk about her. And yeah. So she's a person that that she, my daughter knows but uh it's just a person she never sees like a friend that went on a long it's trip. interesting because she's probably not going to have anything to hold on to no it seems unlikely yeah. like actual memories right pe- people who often don't have them. although this kid is an incredible rememberer so who knows yeah and what's your plan man <laughs> uh i don't have a big plan I mean, in terms of music and stuff, I'm, I wasn't planning on making more music. I wasn't planning on making this album. If anything, I thought I 
music was like ir- irrelevant to my life. I would, I would just get some job and it seemed like self-indulgent to f- be focused on creativity in the way that I had been in the past. But um, it's I but on another level, you know, sadly, um it's a it's a pretty like it's a beautiful record and it's a brilliant record and it's a, a honest record and and um somehow or another it connected you to something very non-intellectual that's what i was going for yeah well i mean you know and also like to handle that to manage that you know on the record and have it not be like as a listener you know i i felt part of your process but i didn't feel leveled or sad for you Mm -hmm. you know like you know i felt like i was being carried through the experience mm-hmm. of something that's very human and very tragic, mm-hmm. but but part of life. Yeah, sure. It, you know, your process, how anyone deals with grief and the actual, you know, loss of somebody, you know. And um, and that's, a, that's not an easy thing to do. It's probably the best writing you've ever done. I feel that way. Thank you. Thanks for all those compliments. Yeah. I mean, I, I am proud of it. I'm, so, I'm terribly sorry for your loss. It's a devastating thing. Yeah, it it is. I didn't think through any of this. I didn't conceptualize it. I just, no, it I just know. came out of me this way. Yeah, I feel that. It was sort of like dipping into a stream that was already flowing. But your impulse was to ma- to deal with it creatively uh, uh, because that's where that's what you are. That's true. <laughs> and once it started coming out, it was it was feeling so good to work on it, to work on these songs. I would run up to that room whenever I had a chance and get you know get back to work on it it was just feeling so therapeutic oh yeah because you you literally sort of answer these questions you know if those those uh, stages of of uh, grief you know are real mm-hmm. which they are uh it feels like you know they're all in there mm-hmm do you know? I I don't know in a jumbled up order. Yeah. Well, I be but kind of. I mean, I you know, I I think that there's a lot of things that are going to keep coming back. You yeah. know, I mean, but I I imagine that, you know, you know, denial is done. Uh-huh. Uh huh. You know, acceptance may be rocky, but it's there. <laughs> uh huh. Right. But you know, depression and anger, those are probably going to come at you. Yeah, for that's a few true. more years. I might make an angry record next. It sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does sounds like creatively fun. <laughs> well, you didn't experience that? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think I mean we had a year of pre-grieving before she died. That's at the least, thing about prolonged illness, huh? Yeah, and I have friends who have lost their partner abruptly, car yeah. car accident or and they don't have the advantage. Advantage is a weird word to use, but it's true that it, I felt like I'm further down the path, right? And then, then somebody that well, lost that's that's the interesting thing about, uh, and this was not as long as long term illness can be. No, and she was, you know, had her mental faculties. Yeah, so you were afforded that opportunity to to have those conversations. Yeah, although she wouldn't acknowledge mortality she, she was she didn't want anyone to talk to her about the possibility that she might die she fought all the way till the end yeah till her last breath it was that that's who she was a fighter so, so she didn't change 
yeah that's true i mean <laughs> and that's my proof for that all this stuff that she kind of this new outfit she put on of rainbows and unicorns wasn't really her it was just a desperation yeah but yeah she that's didn't a, change that's a whole other song yeah you're right wow she did an amazing job of having cancer and dying <laughs> yeah that's a weird sentence but like she did incredible at it she did really good at having at doing chemo she was best friends with all the nurses she was just so uh she knocked it out of the park grace yeah she died really well even though i'd rather she didn't (laughs) yeah i I hear you do you want to do a song okay which one do you play which one do you like to play i was gonna see i have these new songs but uh, I didn't know if you wanted... Well, Whatever you're happy with, you know, if, if there's a song from the record that, you know, you find to be uh, something that you like to play... I might play... Yeah, maybe I'll play a song called Forest Fire. It's it's a good... Uh, it's relevant to the stuff we talked about. Okay. Hmm. Sounds good. Okay. I'm going to close my eyes while I sing. Okay, and I'll just watch the levels. Okay. Yeah, don't watch me. (laughs) The year moves on without you in it. Now it is fall without you. I had to close the windows and doors without you coming through. I kept them open for as long as I could But the baby got cold I watched the calendar bulldoze This whole past summer was a lingering heat wave and I remember late August our open bedroom window going through your things with the fan blowing and the sound of helicopters and the smell of smoke from the forest fire that was growing billowing just on the edge of town where we used to swim they say a natural cleansing devastation burning the understory erasing trails There is no end But when I'm kneeling in the heat Throwing out your underwear The devastation is not natural or good You do belong here I reject nature I disagree And in the hazy light of forest fire smoke I looked across at the refineries And thought that the world Was actually constantly ending smell and roar of the asphalt truck that was idling just out the window tearing up our street I missed you of course and I remember thinking that the last time it rained here you were alive still and that this same long heat that I was in once contained you and in this same heat I opened the window next to you on your last morning so you can breathe and then so
so you could ghost away. And now, so the room will hopefully stop whispering. At my slumbering grief, walking around severed lumbering, but slowly sovereignty reasserts itself. I don't want it though, and betrayal wine. Could I live? That's great. Thank you. You feel all right? Yeah. Thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. It was great meeting you. Yeah, likewise. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful album, and I, I don't... Uh, I'm sorry he had to go through what he went through, but uh, processing it and elevating it through the music uh, helps everybody. I, I really believe that's true. So this guy, Mark Mulcahy, his, uh, he's got a record out. It's called The Possum in the Driveway. You can get it wherever you get music. Uh, he was formerly and sometimes currently in the band Miracle Legion. He's got a hell of a beard right now. And he left his hat here, but I was able to get it back to him. He'll also be performing the album, uh, The Possum in the Driveway, in its entirety on three shows in the Northeast at the end of this month. The Parlor Room in Northampton, Massachusetts on June 21st. Lyric Hall Theater in New Haven, Connecticut on June 22nd. I think I played there. And Joe's Pub in New York City on June 27th. I've played there. Nice rooms, good venues, where Mark Mulcahy will be performing the entire The Possum in the Driveway album. I was happy to talk to him, and it was fun to hear uh, him sing and play guitar. So this is me and Mark Mulcahy. I don't know where I got it, but uh, somebody sent me Dear Mark J. Mulcahy, I Love You, out of nowhere. And I listened to it, and I was like, Jesus Christ, this is great. Found it very moving somehow. Very uh, honest. Some earnest music. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. I and think so. You think so? And, and I was like, what the hell? I tried that? it that way. You know, it was like one day of recording for each song. Well, well, just that, hit it, man. Just nail this song today. Without that, any waiting till later on and bringing the other guy later. Oh, really? I, and it, it was a real positive, you know, like... I, when I after I did it, I didn't think of it because I'm not you know that smart. But like after I did it, I thought, okay, we're always moving forward. We're never going back to fix the thing, and it's never backward. Oh, so it and did. That, it did have some. It, so it was there. It's a different positive. You know, like usually you're laying everything out and doing right. all this, and then the other guy's going to come in on Tuesday and you right. have a list of things you want to do. But everything that, was done. That was great. I always wished I could make a record that way. It still took a year 
Uh-huh. It was like the 12 days. days. Were spread out. <laughs> One day a month. <laughs> but it was real forward moving, you know? And I really, I haven't done it since, but I would like to. Well, that's odd that, that, that I registered because that's what registered to me is that I, I didn't, I, I kind of knew Miracle Legion and I, you know, you were, and you seem like a, a, a wholly formed guy. Like I didn't do any research. Hmm. I get a lot of records. So like I put it on and then I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And <laughs> I think I tweeted it and I think we talked on Twitter a bit, but, um, but it just felt like very immediate. It felt emotional. It felt like it felt like it was happening. So, it, so I'm glad that my ears read well. Yeah, that you did that. So you mean you did it all live to tape, or just the session was all in one day? The session was in. Yeah, no, there was lots of overdubs, but we, you know, we just yeah. we'd keep going, and then the guy that I was working with, Hen, this cat Henning, he would say, "Sounds pretty good, man." I'm like it sounds pretty good. <laughs> you know, it wasn't really a lot of <laughs> right fizzy, you know, fizzy fussiness, you know. So there wasn't, and that was a an intentional method to, to stop you from, from over analyzing? Well, the thing was the record that I'm, you know, humping now is the record I had all kind of made before I made the record you're talking about, Mark J. Okay. And so I had that record all done, but it was kind of older. And I thought, you know, I kind of haven't made a record in a long time and I'd rather make an immediate record. Right. When I wrote, I, like I'd write the song the week right. before and it all just felt, I wanted to feel like, I was coming from the new, you know, the the Phoenix May, you know, sure, up and rising out. So it was just like new material. I'm, I still love the other record, which that's why I put it out. But it just was better to do something. How many new. times have you phoenixed, man? Because <laughs> uh, I've been playing with Miracle Legion, and you know, the other night was our quote, you know, watch my air quotes, our last gig ever. But we played our last gig ever, you know, ten times. times. Yeah, the governor of rock and roll is, you know, whatever <laughs> stupid metaphor that was. <laughs> <laughs> but that one the the uh uh the one that i i i latched on to dear mark j mulcahy i love you how was that the phoenix like how, how did you feel like that like well how is it different that life-wise um uh well i hadn't you know uh so what happened was yeah i mean it's i think a lot of people know but my wife died and i had we had two kids so I stopped doing anything for probably four years. Didn't play, didn't record, didn't make a record, didn't do anything. I I'm just sorry started. to hear that. Yeah, I know. I'm What it, happened? She just just dropped dead, you know. Oh. No warning, no oh. no nothing. You know, it was pretty sh- shocking, you know. Yeah. So, uh that was just a that's a, you know, that was a a place where you know, I had an obviously a totally different thing to do, but still had the brain that I always had, which was just keep duh you know yeah make music right and so it was kind of a a real crushing of my normal self to do yeah. a thing that i you know i was happy to do because yeah. i wanted to and right all, but but uh and finally i thought okay i'm gonna i gotta get you know i gotta get back to my brain you know that yeah wants me to do this other thing yeah and so that's the phoenix part is that i just really wasn't I wasn't really clear like what was going to happen to me, you know. But yeah. I, but I've made records. I've always made records, even though I really didn't have any chance at success. You know, I would still would make it and hope. And yeah, I never made one thinking this is the one that's going to do right. something for me. You know, <laughs> so I would have made it anyway. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> stupidness. But um, well, I guess that I think there was sort of like I I, I think that Phoenix idea or just uh, you know moving through grief and you know using that to. To process, uh, to to using music to process it, I mean, it it works, right? It, it 
you know, like the, I, one a long time ago, this is boring, but I I was playing baseball. These guys, yeah. let's say baseball, and I played baseball when I was a kid. And I'm like, okay, let's play baseball. And the guy hit a ball, and I just started running like a mental case, like I was ten years old. Like it's still in your head. You still want to do the thing that you that you sure. did a lot. Yeah. So this was even you know bigger for me. And so yeah, it was. It, it's a something about just giving your brain the chance to do what it wants to do instead of like trying to make it do something all the time that it you want to do or it it's doesn't want to do or your mind or yeah whatever whatever one of those things but doing the thing you want to do then your brain says or your mind i don't know which yeah. one but one of the other what about your heart does that play in mm, you know i my i put a lot into it you know to, like i for me like the best part of of you know music i love to sing but i love writing word writing lyrics that and i put a lot of my self into the yeah. into the lyrics even if they're stupid i still wanted to be good stupid or good silly or good whatever sure so i put a lot of it into there and and so that that's where my you know then i and then when you're done you go yeah that all adds up in a good way or no that was do you write when you write is it just sort of like uh bits and pieces or do you kind of find because like i mean your songwriting is pretty uh pretty amazing and it's very moving and i'm i'm new to i know this is going to sound weird but i'm sort of new to uh to actually paying attention to uh, lyrics, <laughs> me, you know, me too. Someone, <laughs> me too. There's certain guys I do, and then right. most people I don't really know. Isn't that weird? Well, it's I, weird when you put on some song from that you've been known for thirty years. Like you know, I don't know really know the lyrics. I don't know one one bit of this. <laughs> I have no idea. And maybe the chorus, and I'm probably not getting it right. Exactly. But but like you know, you you seem to like you know really capture something, and and it's emotional. But so what? When? How did you guys start? We started where uh, Ray and I, Ray is the guitarist, Mr. Yeah. Ray, pe people call him. Uh, he was the guitarist, and, and we had been the side bananas. I, I was a drummer. I started as a drummer. So yeah. he was a drummer, and we were the guitar player in different bands, and then we thought we'd just try to do our own band. Yeah. Try and, to write songs. We never had done anything. You know? and, and what was, how old were you? <sighs> Probably 20, 20 something, you know. And what was going on up there? Like, what were the bands, like, what was driving you? Because, like, you guys certainly fell into a world, right? I mean, that was the first wave of, I guess, what they would call alternative rock. Yeah. College rock. Yeah, it was a great time, actually. It was Gang of Four for right. us, uh, the Gun Club. Oh, we yeah. we really in the beginning we really modeled ourselves on the Gun Club, even um, though which, we don't really on sound that like first that. record. Like I'm preaching the we blues. tried, we, yeah, exactly. Fire of Love, totally, yeah, yeah. love that guy. Um, he's not another goner, but he is man, and and that record was really the best record. Yeah, you know he became a great guitarist. I, I Jeffrey I played, Lee. Yeah, for you know, before actually, yeah, before I was in Miracle Legion, we Ray and I and we promoted a lot of shows and we you know we did brought a lot of bands to New Haven. You did? Yeah, it, it really did a lot of promotion, and I learned a lot. Yeah, I learned a lot. Well, about like what? So, uh, oh, interesting. So tons you guys, of people, man, you ran the thing. You were like, we're bringing the new music to New Haven. Yeah, I would go to the club and say, "Look, I can get these bands." What venues back then? Uh, well, the sort of uh, the Great American Music Hall was a place in New Haven. Yeah, uh, maybe uh, once in a while somewhere in Hartford, but kind of steadily at a place called uh, the Grotto or the Brothers Three. You know, weird little right. places. But so this was like 1980. Later than that, it was like it was sort of a a, a big. Well, you know, like I did maybe, well, whenever the replacements, I remember having the replacements for like, you know, when they were unknown or, oh, you know, yeah, everybody was, I didn't have any yeah, money, so it would be, yeah. they have to be unknown. I did Mission of Burma a lot. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Every time they came, yeah, yeah. Perubu, yeah. Um, uh, but I did. I fell into like all the California hardcore came through, and I did you know Black Flag and DOA and Dead Kennedys and. Was that at the at the time where that it was still like kind of word of mouth punk rock, like you know like because um, I talked to a lot of cats that well I guess it might be a little later than that where you know most record stores didn't carry that shit. You okay. know, right? So, like, they had to find the one guy who would carry those records, or like a lot of these punk guys, they had to get the British records from a dude. Yeah, it was a kind of subversive world of punk fans that would take care of each other. So, were you on the the kind of like uh, mail list of like, you know, dude, we're do you know a place we can play that kind of? Uh, shit? I was that guy, but I wasn't a punk. I right. wasn't a punk at all. We, we had suits on. We were like, oh yeah. You're doing the probably kind of hated by them, you know, <laughs> but, the misfits, you know. Oh right, right. A more British trip? Uh, no, no. But but but, but, but I, I somehow those were the guys I'd get calls from, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't yeah. get a call from, I don't know, I don't know. And I worked with a couple of agents that would have like, uh, oh, you know, like the Feelies or something. Or oh, I love the Feelies, the Bongos, yeah, all that kind of stuff. All the stuff that was around. Yeah, everybody would go on tour and. You know, there's a, there was a finite number of bands, so it was yeah. easy to manage the whole so thing. So you were the point guy? In New Haven. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I learned, you know, I learned a lot about, like, I didn't I didn't really know about touring, how that worked, or really what it was. And so uh, I saw a lot of things, and it helped us, you know, do kind of more than we might have done, I suppose, yeah. What about sound-wise? Did it influence you that way? Not so much, no. I wouldn't say so. I don't yeah. know what we, what we were thinking about trying to do. We were yeah. doing... We were doing... Like Jay s- says this thing, you know, I like people who go to the end of their ability, like yeah. a singer or anyone. And yeah. we would just go to the end of our abilities, you know. Yeah. So you didn't have any driving influence? We had this idea of like, we never sounded like Queen, obviously, but Queen was a band that would do any song, any kind of song. Right. So that was a, the openness of yeah. how we would think about it. If yeah. It, it w- if it went one way or another, it was fine. Right. So we were never, you know, we got sort of compared to R.E.M. a lot. And I don't. I, I read that, but I didn't hear it. I think we we seemed like them, but I don't think we sounded like them. That was my. No, you definitely had a little more um, uh, of that thing that that what's his name Ray, right? Something more, Mr. Ray. Mr. Ray. He had there was something I could hear from his influences in there that REM do, do, you know did not do that. Maybe you know? yeah. we had a, we had a good you know playing with him because I don't know it's, it's clear, but we you know we quit playing twenty years ago and we've been playing and like I've just finished yesterday. In San Francisco. Last gig, yeah, the last gig of history, and uh, so, um, so we had a, you know, we do have it. We still, we just have a, you know, that thing. That you like, hadn't played with them in twenty years. Not really, no. And then you guys got together. We all got together, the four of us. You know, it wasn't. Just what about that. the other two guys? Did you play with them? I well, that was the TV show band that was Polaris. Polaris, yeah. So we did that, and that's what sort of opened the door to thinking. Yeah, what about we get Ray? Because Ray wasn't in Polaris. Ray was just out. Ray was out. It's like I we well, <laughs> I don't know how much to get into like everything, but we sure. were signed to a record label. What's out here? Like, well, I, I, I like hearing those stories because I think it's <laughs> the you, black hole of music. You know, you know there's just this weird, uh, d- like demonic element to the the record business of of your uh, that. Yes, you know, I talked to a lot of cats <laughs> who were you know in the music business in the '80s and and earlier. That it just becomes some sort of nightmare, and you lose your freedom somehow. So what, what you know, like to to sort of just do what you want to do, one way or the other. Yeah, I, well, that did happen to us. I mean, most of the time that we were just you know mopping along and doing a record as often as we could, but then we did get to the point with that 
label, I was going to say Morgan Creek, that we couldn't get out. I mean, they just wouldn't. Normally, you just get released, and that's your that's your bum out, you know. Right. They wouldn't release us, and we were just stuck with nothing. So and you did surprise, surprise, surprise in that. On, no, we did that. We were for a while. We were on Rough Trade, which is yeah, great. That was a good record. That's a great label. Yeah, you know, we did we did uh, two or three records with them and an EP, and and that was all good. And, and then they went bankrupt. See, they you know we were, you know, we were just part of these things that didn't work. So yeah. we, they went bankrupt, and then we we had nothing, you know. Um, but like the other guy you're just talking about, we didn't, you know, we were never gonna like, we never said, ah, man, it's not working out for us. You know, we just always, you know, it's just nothing feels stupider than being like that, but that's what it was. We just kind of would always keep going and we had this kind of tenacity or something, not towards success, but just like, let's keep doing it, you know? And what was it, like you said before, like you, you, like, I don't know if that's a, uh, some, uh, you, you've grown into this, re- this, uh, what do I want? This um, resignation that, you know, you're not going to make the big record. You're not going right. to you know, make a hit record. But when you started, I imagine you... I don't think we ever had that idea, you know? <laughs> I just didn't think... We just didn't think of it that way. It seemed so unlikely to have... You know, this was a time when the bands that were having hit records were, you know, I don't know, Bon Jovi or something. Yeah. It was, you know, theoretically in, in some story that Nirvana just bludgeoned the Change whole thing it. to bits but there were but at that time that was sort of the beginning of the college charts right sure yeah and we wanted to do better believe me you know yeah. we were, we aspired and thought and tried and yeah. you know um so and we had you know managers here and there and we you know we tried all these things and we it's a lot of you know man you know it's like there's so much luck and timing and you meet the right guy and you're it's in the true. right spot and you're the thing people want i used to always say that you know, I don't blame Hootie and the Blowfish. You know, for, they just did their what? thing. They didn't try to do anything but be that, and it just was the right. Right. They were on the top of the wave at the right second. You know, I like at some point you had to let go of Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah, well, yeah. well, sometimes you know, like in in like the, my time of no liking music, and then be when I liked music and I just wasn't a musician. That was a better. That was a sweet time to me. But when you're in it, you know, you're just different. And you, there's times when. Something comes along, you're like, you're like, oh shit, that's what, that's what it. And I went to see them at this like uh, radio station jingle along with all these new bands. Yeah, yeah. And they played it, and I was like, oh my god, that is, that is so awful, you know. And I, I mean, I'm not trying to insult them because you know, <laughs> no, of course not. I'm sure yeah. they're a nice guy, and he seemed like yeah, a, a great yeah, guy, sure. you know. But I was like, that is just really. And it was like, here it is. And then they started to just really elevate, and I'm like. Holy shit, man! I have no chance in this game, none. <laughs> and then that just goes away, you know. And then there's another one after that, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so we always, you know, me and we just kept always chugging along. So we got on this Morgan. I was going to tell you that we got on the Morgan Creek, and they yeah. went. I don't know what they were doing, man. They they made up a label to release the Robin Hood soundtrack, uh-huh. basically, and they signed a bunch of bands, and then we which Robin Hood the, uh, the Kevin Costner, Costner yeah, uh-huh. and so. That's what it was. Oh, they were a film company. They were the film company, and yeah, they made some good movies early on. Right, but yeah, but they so they created a record label. Where, what was the they created a record label with all the guys from the old labels? The guy, the head of the company, was the guy, the head of the company, and they opened the doors with gold records everywhere. Yeah, you know, like wow, sure. you know. But it was yeah. like they hadn't uh, even started. Bob yet. Seger gold yeah, record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, <laughs> and the the head of the company was the guy who arranged. And these are great dudes too, like amazing guys to hang with. Arranged the the Beatles in the swimming pool in Hollywood picture. 
So he that goes. Was, that was his credit. He's going back. Well, I'm just saying he was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was going back. David yeah. Kirschenbaum was an yeah. old, you know, yeah. guy that used to just, you know. So that was their press. They're like, look who we got. We rope. Come, come on, kid. <laughs> We're going hardcore, but they didn't have any clue, really, I don't think. So we couldn't get out anyway. And that just... Did you make a record with them? Made one record, and we prepared another record, and then never... It's nothing. Well, what what is it? What what, what do you mean they couldn't get it out? They have no distribution? They didn't want to get it? They just throw... Everything's on hold right now. We're on hold. Everything's on hold. And I I was like, well, how long is it going to be on hold for, man? You know, we sort of are... This is what we have this is all we have yeah yeah <laughs> you're all i have <laughs> and so it went for a couple of years i i came out here i'd come out here they had a place they their offices were in uh century city like yeah tall buildings yeah little, and uh i said dude i'm gonna jump out this window man i'd be in there like a I had like a um unabomber hoodie on yeah i'm threatening the guy to jump out the window he's like i can't help you man like that <laughs> yeah, i can't open the window so for like, you. you want me to open the window I, they probably had me insured you know so um you're glad if I jump out the window. So that was the that was drenched was the record they put out. Drenched, yeah. And then the the, ne- the next one they just and they did another one. So we we fiddled up. But the the reason I was telling you that was that in that time when you asked me was Ray in Polaris? No, because he's like I, I finally had it. You know I can't do any. I I quit. He got married. I'm quitting. I don't want to do anything. And I got offered the Polaris gig on my own or. They offered it to us, and he didn't want to, so I said, could, could I try it? And that's kind of where I started so what, being it, my own man. You know? Oh, okay. So the Polaris gig was, that was, uh, you had to change the name for legal reasons. No, I there guess. wasn't, no, I just got the job doing the music. It was just a purely, a, it was purely a hired to write music for the show and record the music for the show. The band was sort of an afterthought. How, how did you get that gig? He said, I love Miracle Legion. The guy who made people Will, yeah. I love Miracle Legion, and I said, "Well, I don't think you're going to get Miracle Legion, man. Those guys are because the other two guys joined up with uh, Frank Black. Oh, they, they were did. the Catholics. If you oh, remember, they were. If you yeah, sure, sure. The other, two, the rhythm section was the Catholics, and they're like, I'm in the Catholics. I don't, you know, this is good living. You know, I'm in a tour bus. Did now. that? Did that? Bu- did that bum you out? In the time before I got the gig with the Polaris gig with the TV show, I was man. Now I got nothing. Everybody's gone. I can't do anything. Were you guys friends? Were you devastated? Did you? Yeah, we were friends. I mean, we've always been friends. You know, yeah. friends is like when we're together, we're friends. Then yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we like someone would get out of the van after a tour. I go, well, hey, friend, I'll see you like next tour. Like, <laughs> whoa, no, man, I'm gonna see you tomorrow. I'm like, no, you're not. Man. <laughs> so, so I got that job, and then yeah, they invented the band just to be in the open, really. Right, and so we you're were, actually you're you're on TV. They said, "Well, you guys, you guys need to be in the open of the thing." We played the you know the theme song, yeah, and that became a thing. But we never did a thing with that either. We're just like, no, I'm not. You know, up here, I'm not all full of great ideas, and so <laughs> uh, I I never did anything. And then this guy offered us a gig. Like that was the same kind of thing. I don't know how many years it was. Fifteen years later, a guy's like, "I'm doing this Nickelodeon project, and would you guys want to play?" And we never had played a gig at all. We never did anything. And it's like the biggest thing I have, I've done, you know? Was like the so Nickelodeon many, project. Was the best band that everybody's, when we, when we came out to play, it's like, okay, it's like three or 400 people, every town crying and screaming and loving and Were they weeping. kids? Was it a kid's show? I mean, It was how? a kid's show, yeah. It was a kid's show about two brothers. It was live, it was yeah. on a cartoon. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a very well-written show. So, you know? so it these- didn't, wasn't my, for my sort of place in time, but sure. for a kid that was- had a great soundtrack. It had magnetic fields and yeah. Iggy Pop was one of the characters. Stipe was one of the characters. You know, uh, re- I don't know how I missed that. Uh, Patty Hearst. Yeah. Was in it. Oh yeah. So it was this really well done thing that, you know, uh, I think was a smart thing for a kid instead of the 
Right. Most of the crap. You know? So some of the people involved got followings of these, the, yeah, these new group of kids. They were kids. Well, you know, uh, you know Toby Huss. Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. I, was, I wish I, I kind of remember the show, but I don't think I, I saw it. He probably wouldn't have watched it. You know, mm -hmm. I'd watch it with my mom because I was in it. And then after like two episodes, she's like, that's enough. You know, it's yeah, yeah, good yeah. to see you there. <laughs> yeah, glad you're doing well. <laughs> I don't want to watch this. Yeah. <laughs> you're on TV, <laughs> but but now you have an audience for Polaris. Polaris is a great thing. It's a beautiful. It's like so, like nothing. It's like what you really want. You go in there. Everybody's like dying to hear it. Everyone's crying. Everyone's so united. It's like this beautiful gig where everybody's in the same place. You know? Yeah, there's no assholes. You know? Yeah, nobody's yelling the wrong thing. Or, right. Everybody's real reverent, and yeah, I loved it, man. I really had a, a great time. I hope we do it again. I don't. I bet we won't, but I'd would. You know what? Soundtrack. Do this show. We did a tour. We toured all over the place with Polaris. Uh huh. I don't know if I made that clear, but yeah, we hadn't played. The guy offered us one gig, and we thought it sounded you know okay, so we kept going. Yeah, that's the way it is, man. Yeah, and that was where you got your your biggest following with Polaris. I think so. So far, yeah. Now, like, what? Do, like, talk about like how you, you, you. It seems like you worked with some people, you know. Like once Miracle Legion, when you down uh, sized it, C crashed. So the the album, uh, me and Mister Ray, was that that was after the Crazy Huff quit, the right? Two, the, the original drummer and the second bass player who had like poisoned his mind. Yeah, <laughs> they quit, and so we said, "Oh man, you know." But it's always like, "Oh man, they quit, man." Let's make a record over this way now because it's that's all that it, it's yeah. just like it's one thought yeah know? let's yeah. make a record that, without those guys you know? yeah so we had all these songs that we didn't really think were too good yeah know? and so we went and said let's make these songs a, a record and see what we can do and it it all turned out real beautifully you know well that was a like a successful that was a good record that's a great i mean excuse me that was a great record for us yeah for me i thought i achieved like a lot of things i wanted to did achieve. you get any traction Mm, probably not you know not really no. <laughs> where'd you record it <laughs> we recorded it at paisley park that was another super bonus we you know the, somebody came up with the idea that why don't you guys go to paisley park and i'm like yeah sure what, what where's that you know yeah. <laughs> so we went to paisley park you know it's in minneapolis yeah well it's a little outside of minneapolis and it's, was prince there prince was there only tangentially man i've never had a conversation with him and you know I thought, like, I walked by him one time, and I was like, hey, you know, what's up, dude? And he's like, what's up? He was super nice or whatever, yeah. whatever that's worth. And, but now that I read, you know, after he died, you realize, you read all these things about what a great dude he was, and he was always, like, involved. In, I bet I could have said, you know, you want to sit You want to play something? He's like, sure, man, it's cool, you know? <laughs> like, he's just a musician, you know? He wasn't like a, he's right, just a figure, right, but right. I wish it's a, you know, yeah, of a regret, I suppose yeah. that's one of them, you know? Who and who produced it? So produced by a guy who was a total prick, and we got rid of him, and went to this other guy, Paul Coldery. He's the guy that fixed it. He's the guy that produced all those Boston bands that you name anyone, he produced them all. Is he know? still around? He's around. He, he mixed um, Mark J. Mulcahy. Oh, he did? Yeah. Oh, that's great. He's, he's still a great have, dude, man. Love, he, love him. You yeah. still have a relationship with him. Still he's doing just the work. A, let's do, he's the same. Let's just do it, man. He's made. He produced the Radiohead record and Hole and has done huge things, but like, could you mix this? Like, sure. I'll, oh, yeah? Let's go. You know? Yeah. Give me 500 bucks. Yeah. Well, the, which Radiohead record? The first one, Pablo Honey. That's good. That's great. Yeah. You friends with those guys? No. I've met the singer is a big fan of mine. Tom. Tom. That's a nice fan. But I, and I've met him a couple of times, but uh, yeah, we don't have any. He's know. done your songs, right? He did. A, he covered a song that, that uh, All for the Best, which is, you know, one of our great songs, I guess. And uh, uh, it was just in a um, TV show called The Imposters, and they used his version. 
and you know it was good you know <laughs> it's a good, good moment good to write a song yeah surprise check they're just there, to write songs surprise check it's an amazing thing when you get paid that you wrote a song and you didn't actually yeah you just get an envelope in the mail somebody yeah. calls me i want to do that okay, i want to do that and then you know, yeah i that that's a, I, that is the uh the the best part about it seems about music if is if you got your publishing if you write the song yeah and it's a good song. Yeah, there's they, it. Just it just it goes out. It's like now go out and make money. Song. Go somewhere, please. Yeah, go. Yeah. <laughs> so, and so like Iggy's had an amazing run of that with uh, um, a few songs, right? With Lust two or three, yeah, Lust for Life over and over. You know, yeah, yeah. Just uh, the Pixies have had a lot of good luck with that too. Have they with won what? It. Well, you know, like, where is my mind? Where's my mind? It was in something, and they had we were in an Apple song. Uh, I forget an yeah. Apple ad. Uh huh. It's just people. It's. You know, like Rich, the manager, he calls all the time trying to find these opportunities, but it's strictly, I like that. Hey, I like that guy. Yeah. You know, it's never, yeah, it's never going to happen with businessmen calling each other. No, it's a weird way it happens. I read that, you know, when they first did um, Search and Destroy, they used, remember, they used Iggy's Search and Destroy for a Nike ad that they ran in movie theaters. Mm-hmm. And I know a guy who's on the other side, who's on the, in the management uh, realm of the uh, music, or does you know the behind the you know not not a musician anymore. And he said the guy who used that song for that commercial was just going through titles, like it was no nothing to do with Iggy Pop. He, he was liked just, the, he liked the title search and search and destroy, and then he listened to the song. It's like oh yeah, so it was like it was just this random thing, and just it started. There you go, Mister uh, Osterberg. Here's a quarter of a million dollars. Surprise. Have a good week. So what kind of, like, what when you do a show like in San Francisco last night, what, what are the crowds? Who's 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 left? Who are they? Uh, we, we're good for like 250, 250 people. And because of the ver- variety of at least me and Polaris and that, there's a, you know, there's a good mix of people. You know, well, but, which album do you think did it? Like, in, like in, in the, outside of the Polaris record, is there a Miracle Legion crew uh, you know, a lot of people like Drenched, which I, I you know, I'm, I'm kind of half and half on. You know, that was the one that got the most attention and had the most money behind it in the ad and billboard. And yeah, we were on David Letterman, and that really got a lot of, you know, the usual, the hype you right. associate. You know, right. So a lot of people know that, but a lot of people know, you know, they they find it. You know, people are, you get a lot of, in, uh, it's very encouraging, like right to right to find, especially kids who find Polaris, and they look and they look around, and they find all the records, and they want to know everything. You know, that's, yeah, I know, I'm in the process. Gives you some hope, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's always out there. It's there now, and especially the, like Rich has made everything totally available. So it's it's good. Who's Rich? Your manager? Yeah, the manager. Yeah, he's found a way to get everything on all the places you can buy records. You know, and what what when you um, well, I know it must be it must be difficult uh, with your wife passing away. But I mean, how did that? You know, like how did that change the way you approach the life in general? Did it? Hey. You know, man, to be brutally truthful, you know, like it, it, it's, it's just, it's just like I have to, you know, I have to provide. I never provided, you know, before right. that. Before I had kids, I wasn't a provider, and so she was. No, well, I mean, we had money. We just had enough money to kind of the two of us. She worked. I, you know, I played, yeah. and we were fine. But, right. But you know, I, I just look at what I'm doing in a. I still feel you know like an artist, you know. Right. But I also know that it's all I have to bring home some. I can't. I have to bring home money from it. You know, yeah. I can't just. Think. How old are they? They're eleven, twins. Oh, right. So, so that, you know, that, it's just a, it's just a responsibility. Right. To, there's a, like, and it, it may, and it's you know, it's been 
it's made me grow up quite a bit about what I'm doing, and it makes me approach. It's turned me a lot more professional about what I'm doing than I would have been. You know, I wouldn't have given a shit. I would have, like, if this was if this was ten years ago or something, I would have come in and given you a hard time just because I thought, uh, who is this guy? You know, what does he what does he want? What does he want out of me? You know, I would approach everybody like that. What do you want out of me? Fuck you. You know. And I, you know, I, you know, it doesn't make any sense to think that way. Obviously, for whatever reason, you're thinking that way. But, but I know, you know, I have a. I feel like you know, I'm really no. I feel. I was going to say earlier, man. Like I've learned more since Miracle Legion than I knew all and all the time I was in it. I've learned about how to sing, how I can sing differently, and how to write, and just everything about it has been. I, you know, this the really the thing of. Uh, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know anything. You know? Right. So I'm in that. That's where I am, Zen wise. You know? Yeah. I know I'm. I know I have a long way to go, kind of thing. Well, you know? it's also interesting when you when you come at it because, like, I I'm the same as you, and, and maybe that's why I, you know I I get a, a, attracted to the records in that when I set out to do stand up or whatever, whatever my chosen craft is, which you know was comedy. You know, I just wanted to. I, you know, I had. You know, I wanted to say something. I wanted to do this thing. Right. I had no plan. You right. know, people like in show business, some of them have plans. You know, they have points they want to reach. They they keep a consistent hairdo. You know, they <laughs> they're st- you know they maintain stylistic elements. They make connections. They do all that shit. And I entered it sort of like I'm here. Where do, when does it start? What do- <laughs> I know the idea. Yeah. <laughs> We we did the thing. I mean, where's the guy? Why isn't somebody here? Yeah, exactly. I thought they were going to come get us. Yeah. When are we going to be picked up? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know, just to go like slightly on, we did like a Miracle Legion. We had a great success right off the bat. Yeah. Boom. We went to England, which I never even I I never been there. You know. Well, that's what. Like, and is that boom, what, we did well, and and Seymour what, Stein called us, and everything was going great, and then shh, then, what? Well, yeah, how it goes? Well, I mean, so which album was popular in England? It was called The Backyard. It's our first record. It's okay. an EP. An EP. That's and when EPs could go huge. It just struck somebody, man. It was like the perfect tune. Yeah. But nobody knew how to capitalize. Nobody knew what to do. In like, this oh, country or what? Right. Anywhere, you know. But in England- We had they... a video on MTV right away. When we made a video, this girl, this woman we know made a video, Kelly Reichardt, if you know her, she made the video for it. And uh, everything was, we're like, all right, well, I guess, you know. I guess that's it. Let's go. Yeah. And then doosh, nothing. Nothing? Like a rock. But what about, but it got you to Britain? Yeah, we toured around England. Yeah. We, we, I mean, it helped a lot. It, it helped us a lot. Did people come in England? Totally. You know, it was, yeah. it was getting played on the radio and that's when England was NME and everything mattered. You know, we yeah. do a photo shoot for every of the Melody Maker NME that'd be like, oh, the photographer's coming around and take you, come take you to the, the green yeah. over to the hemp and the, the Hempstead Heath and take some shots around, you know, someone's yeah. graveyard. So <laughs> it was really crazy and exciting. You know? I wonder if that's where York got wind of you. He, well, he got wind of that song All for the Best. Him that, and his brother, went, uh, the, he said, my brother and I heard that on the radio. We went to London and bought a record and that's it. You know. Oh yeah. He's told me, yeah, I mean, he he genuinely loves that tune, man. Like like, I, it's not, and he's not kidding. I mean, he is not fucking kidding. The first time, I I somehow went to see them play in in New York, and I got on the guest list somehow. So he knew I was on the guest list, I guess. Yeah. And so, it we're I'm at the show, and he comes up. He comes off with Donker. So when you want to dedicate this song to Mark Mulcahy, he love the next song, blah blah. And I'm like, what? You know? Did he play it? He played. Um, no, it wasn't all for the best. It was something else. Yeah. But it was their song. But yeah. But he dedicated it to me, and I'm like, and I'm looking at my friend, who is the only other guy who knows 
who I am yeah. at this gig, you know? And it was just, I'm like, that's crazy. So I went to meet him. I'm, I went backstage. I'm like, dude, you know? And he, and he was like, ah, oh, ah, oh, oh, you couldn't. Wow. And then, you know, that's that was, I don't want to oversell it. That was pretty much it. I I've never really seen him again. No, but like, you know, <laughs> but isn't that beautiful though? I mean, clearly that song shifted something in his head. Totally. And his brother too. I know his brother a little better. I've toured with his brother's band. What's uh, his brother's band? They were called The Unbelievable Truth. Uh-huh. And he couldn't, I, I, you know, they were pretty good. He couldn't get away from being Time York's brother, you know. That's tough. So it's hard. It's hard. The, the burden of uh, sibling fame. People would accuse him of not changing his name. You should change your name, man. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but I like that. I like that, like, you know, that you don't know how. That's a beautiful thing about mu- music because it's kind of magic like that. Right. You don't know when it's going to drop in. Yeah, that's why everything's always available. Like, you know, music doesn't go away. Like, I just get, I'm just now, because I've had this vinyl resurgence and I realize how much shit I don't know nothing about. And you can't. Like, I always get insecure, like, even when I talk to you, because, you know, you've done a a lot of work. And, like, I know there's got to be at least one or two people out there who are going to be like, I can't believe you didn't ask him about his dog. You know, like, or, you know, you talked about it in a song. And I can't accommodate that. All I can do is continue to be curious. But, you don't know when it's going to drop in. I'm like going on a goddamn Lee Morgan tear. He's been dead forever. Yeah. And, and you know, like, you know, nine people love Lee Morgan. And now I'm like, so how did I not know about this guy? How was I going to know about him? I don't know. I'm the same. Y- I you mean, know, like, I don't know. I know what I knew up until I started playing music. Right. So I know. Old shit. Uh, yeah. I'm on YouTube looking at Deep Purple videos. <laughs> That's me. You know? That's where I'm at. Yeah. I think you played to the heavy hearted dudes. Maybe. You know what I mean? Maybe. Are you, at these gigs we just played, you know, this guy comes, I flew from Chile to see the show. You don't know. Yeah. Uh, it's what I like. You, you, you know, and they start hugging you. And yeah. You know, the, you know the hug that like, he, he, need, he, wins, needs, he needs it. You're like, yeah, I know. And I'm happy. You yeah. Know, yeah. I, can I have a hug? But then it's like, okay. Okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hugs are hard to get out of if they're, you know, yeah, if they're, sincere, if, you know. Yeah, oh, yeah. It's not like a baseball hug after a home uh, run or something. It's like a, a real a, solid hug. That's a so weird. Compl- Hugs are hard to get out of if they're sincere. <laughs> well, there's, you know, they're really, and you know, you really get. You can feel it. And the Polaris thing I was saying, they're, they're, they're crying, they're bawling. I'm looking across these, every fifth person is weeping, you know. Yeah. To hear this tune that's from their brain. Their brain's like, oh my God, it's the thing that we all, that, when we were kids. Let's cry. Yeah. I, you know, and it's a happy, you know, crying. But that, not everyone can write songs like that, buddy. No, <laughs> I have one song, dude, and I, I don't know if you ever heard it, but it's called uh, "Don't Talk Crazy," and it's about a guy who gets wounded in war and comes home. <laughs> you can't. No one can listen to it. It's like it's un listenable song it's just so i'm crying right now i honestly god i'm li- a little bit crying thinking of the tune really and i'm not saying anything about me which record's it on it's not on any record it's not even <laughs> you can barely get it you can't i should take it out it's too painful <laughs> and you know i'm not saying that like, i've done something but it's just it's just the the idea of this thing you know it's just too much to it's too much to bear you know I, as I, you know, as I get, I've always been sort of moved by stuff like that, that have a melancholy or a dense, uh, a depth to it like that. Mm-hmm. And, um, like I, uh, you know, I, I, and I guess that's what I heard in your music. Cause I like, you, you know, there's a, a, like a, a frequency of emotion that people operate from creatively, you, you know, and, and, and I don't know that they can explain it. You know, but it is what it is. And, you know, if you're one of those people, you're not going to, you know, fill stadiums, but you're definitely going to change lives. Yeah. 
I think so. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I think I have that. You know, yeah, I, I, I do. I do. I do too. Irishness of some kind of ah, something like that. That's so. F- I was just talking to somebody about that today. Yeah. Oddly, yeah. like because like I have this weird connection to Ireland that's emotional. You know, like I, you know, I'm just a Jewish guy. Oh. You know, I, I'm not Irish in any way. Uh-huh. But when I go there, there's part of me that's sort of like I'm home. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, you know, we're downtrodden. We're the, the, yeah, but you're downtrodden. But, but acceptance of it, yeah, that there, there, there is a, a point of view through the darkness, through the bog. Yeah, you know that. You know, you, you, we keep going forward, right? You know, think. You know, no one said this was going to be easy, <laughs> right? It's a. It's that's what I'm saying. Even about the everything about I've been doing music. It's never yeah. been right because I had some huge success. I'm going to build on that. It's yeah. just been I'm going to. Keep, keep, keep going, keep, keep going, trucking. keep trucking. Yeah, keep going and, and and experiencing the feeling, the struggle. But sometimes I feel, you know, I meet the guy that used to be in the band, and he's you know a lawyer or he's got something good. I'm like, fuck, man, why didn't I do that? You You're know? not meant for that. Why didn't I make the right move and get out and uh huh get you know? He's how 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 often do you spend thinking along that line? Not not that often. I, I do, can't. you know, I I do. I wish I could have all those things, you know, but I don't, you know. I don't, like, like I, when I used to think like that, which I try not to, like, you know, it's, it's much more specific now as opposed to sort of like, you know, crossroads regrets. Like, you know, here I am at the crossroads. <laughs> I think I'll just stay on the one I'm on, you yeah. know? Yeah. But, but you know, when I do choose to sort of be, I, I, the only way I can put it into any sort of context, which I do, is like, there was no way I could have done that. It's, yeah. I just, I'm just not, it, it's not in me it's not i'm not that guy yeah like it's very easy to judge yourself against other people's successes when they take this other thing but like you think about the time that you might have done that there's no way you would have done it no matter what you mean realistically i would have flunked at most of those things unless somebody gave me some perfect right chance but but, but, right having a job that was just the right one but i don't know what that would be exactly and when those guys make that decision they let go of something I think that, so. Yeah, you're, of course they do, that you're not willing to let go of. Like when I was at my lowest and I was going to quit comedy, I was like, well, there's only a couple options and one of them is not living anymore. You know? No, I'm always I'm always at UPS. I would say that. <laughs> Look, man, we got to <laughs> turn the lights off right here. Daddy's going to go. UPS, huh? over to UPS. Yeah. I think I could do that. Uh, yeah, get some. Un- I could deliver, make, the, you know, drive the truck, deliver. Get some coverage, yeah. you know, get some insurance. It feels like a doable job to me. Yeah, yeah, you just got to wear Maybe the outfit. Maybe FedEx if I can get a little, <laughs> if I shoot a little higher. <laughs> FedEx. FedEx. <laughs> Something. But it does seem like, a, you know, a job that anybody could sort of work their way into. Yeah, I, yeah. I guess there's jobs like that, but look how old we are. Like, that was the I other. I want to. But that was the other thing, man. It's like when I was at my lowest, I was already in my 40s, and I'm like, the last job I had was working at edibles. You know, like, like, you're going to go apply. You're like, come in, get a grill job. I don't know. I was talking about the mag. I worked at the magazine store. I said, hey, how's that job going? Well, I had the job at the magazine store. (laughs) Well, the magazine store. That was the last one. (laughs) Otherwise, I had nothing, you know. But uh, all right, well, well, I, let's. You want to play a song? If you want me to, I don't. I'm, I kind of b- bumped that on you, but oh no, no, I didn't know. I didn't know if you want to. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. I mean, I like people, when people play. If you feel like it, I'll try. It be I only. I, I only know a couple. I know a couple from the record, and that's about it. I haven't been playing at all. You know, I've been. Yeah. Playing, so I haven't. Yeah. I don't, you want to try it? I don't keep up. You know the song, The Fiddler, from the new album. Yeah. yeah. Just listen to it. This one's from the new album. 
It's called the fillet. Now there's a little town around here that had a dam that cracked. Now there's a little town around here that had a dam that cracked. Flooded and washed the high school into the river. The local chiropractor came to have predicted it. He said the proofs in the backs that I straightened. While the Bakerloo train Steams a steely screen Into the underground The translator serene He can hear himself dream But there's always A moment in between There's always a moment when somebody's listening Ooh. Now there's a million to one chance That everything will be fine won't be any fuck-ups or problems this time So get back on the bus and stay focused on us There's black earth and champagne and a waterbed if you need one Forget it, man. Happened. I'm not playing it right. That sounded so good. You want to do it, try it again? I'm just fucking it up. If I, give me another chance at it. One more chance. I thought it sounded great. <coughs> I, was ex I was into it. Right, one, can I take another try at it? Of course. Okay, we're Do you think so? I think so. I don't know. Maybe. Don't, don't be too hard on yourself. See, <laughs> <laughs> this is the guitar. All I'm, all I'm thinking about is are you fucking up? <laughs> if someone else was playing guitar and I was singing, I wouldn't be thinking. Okay, here we go. Now there's a little town around here That had a dam that cracked Flooded and washed the high school into the river The local chiropractor came to have predicted it He said the proofs in the backs That I straightened Plays while the Bakerloo 
train Steams a steely screen Into the underground Translates serene He can hear himself dream But there's always a moment in between There's always a moment when somebody's listening Now there's a million to one chance Everything will be fine There won't be any fuck-ups Or problems this time So get back on the bus And stay focused on us There's black girls and champagne And a water better if you need one While the baker of train steams a steely screen into the underground, translates serene, he can hear himself dream. But there's always a moment in between. There's always a moment. There's always a moment in between There's always a second when somebody's listening Yeah, I kind of screwed it up, but I don't care. You know. No, I. It, it sounded great. It sounded great. <laughs> <laughs> Should have practiced. Well, come on. No, I'm come happy on. with it. All right, it's great talking to you. You too, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. See you another day. We got it. Nailed it on that last one. Mark Mulcahy. Again, the album is the Possum in the Driveway good record don't forget you can also go to wtfpod.com for all your wtf pod related things pre-order that book pre-order the book waiting for the punch it's gonna be good it's coming it's coming all right okay i should play play some guitar